Good morning, Cornerstone. My name is Iris, and I will be doing the scripture reading for today, which comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 53. If you have your Bible, feel free to follow along. If not, you can just follow along on the screen. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. The word of the Lord. Amen. Hello, Cornerstone. Welcome back. Sorry for the technical difficulties earlier, but we're back in action. Thank the Lord for that. And so this is our last uh, message in the series that we have from Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke. We've gone through uh, quite a few sermons uh, on this Gospel, and the reason why is because we are we're followers of Jesus, and what other way can we follow Jesus by focusing on His life and the account of his life and his teachings, and so that's what we've been doing, and today's the last message of that series, and so the last two weeks, we've seen that we've focused on the meal that Jesus had, the last meal two weeks ago with uh, his disciples from chapter 22, and in that meal, the Passover meal, he, he redefined that meal uh, in the meaning of that meal to focus on himself as a remembrance of what he was about to do and for us, what he did on the cross. And then last week, we saw in Luke 23, uh, we focused on Jesus' death and what that meant and what he accomplished by that death, and that is taking on the sins of all of us who have ever lived, the, of mankind, on himself, and paying that penalty, which is death, and therefore making a way for life for us who follow him and trust in him as Lord. Today, now, we're into chapter 24 and the resurrection of Jesus, which is usually the chapter we focus on in Easter time. And so we're looking at that, and especially we're going to look at the commission he gave to his disciples uh, right there at that moment when he meets with them. So the title today is, if I can get the slides to forward... It's not working. Oh, there we go. Okay. So, you are my witnesses. So, this, this is tied into what he says, and we'll look at that in a minute. But when I was thinking of the big idea of today's message, uh, it reminded me of something that happened this week. So, this past Wednesday, 
uh, Sin Liu, uh, myself, and Kathleen Lau uh, ate lunch together. And uh, so we met here and we went over to this restaurant. I don't know if some of you have been there before, Brisa Paisas. And, uh, and we went there, and if you don't know where it is, it's right adjacent to Mei Mei's Chinese restaurant just down the street on Hamilton. And so uh, in Spanish, if you didn't know, brisa means a slight wind, uh, a breeze. And then paisas is interesting because it refers to a people from the region of northwest Colombia specifically. It's a specific people group that live in this area of Colombia. And also, if you look at the brown on this map, it's uh, the Andes Mountains also in, are included in that area. So they're also in that mountainous region. And the people Paisas can be found in regions in Colombia and other regions as well as the Americas and in now North America and the United States. And um, the interesting thing about the Paisas is that their way of speaking Spanish is very peculiar. Uh, you know, personally, I can't notice the difference because um, I don't really know Spanish that well. But that's just a characteristic of this people group. Well, anyway, so the three of us go into this restaurant, um, Brisa Paisas, and we didn't know what to order. So we were like talking to each other, and this lady was there before us, and she was in the process of ordering uh, eight orders for the people in her office, which must be somewhere in Somerset. And then she's telling us, like, oh, she's, she does this every week, once a week. They always come to this Brisa Paisas. And so she saw that we were struggling on what to order, so she quickly said, oh, and she said this three times. She said, I don't eat chicken, but the only chicken I'm willing to eat is their chicken stew here. It's amazing. And so she said that three times to us. And then there was another lady in line that was hearing all this, so she offered her favorite menu items, too, which was the, the steak strips and the... Um, Beef empanadas. Now, an empanada, if you don't know what an empanada is, it's like a huge fried dumpling. It's really big, and it's got all kinds of juicy stuff in there, in this case, beef. And so both of these women were so excited to share with us what they found enjoyable. And they were witnesses, in a sense, of the good food of this restaurant. So we ended up actually getting what they suggested, uh, everything <laughs> that they suggested between the three of us, and naturally, uh, we confirmed then they were right. The food was very enjoyable. Now, this came to mind because the experience of these two women shows how natural it is for people to share what they find enjoyable and beneficial to them. They're excited to do so, and they shared with us with enthusiasm. Uh, and we see from our text today in Luke chapter 24, verses 47 and 48, when Jesus instructed his disciples, saying, at, And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now, we know from the book of Acts in the New Testament and other historical accounts that Christianity spread widely and quickly during that first 300 years all over the Roman Empire and beyond. It, it, it's because they bore witness to these disciples, these early disciples bore witness and proclaimed the gospel. Now it's 2,000 years since the resurrection of Christ Jesus, and this statement to his disciples still applies to you and me today as followers of Jesus. We 
are witnesses for Jesus to proclaim the repentance and forgiveness of sins in His name. So we're going to be looking at this today. So let's look at the context of our today's text in Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 53, which Iris read for us earlier. So Luke 24 starts off with this story of the women uh, on Sunday morning going to the tomb and finding it empty, and then these two angels meet them, and they say that Jesus has risen. Why are you looking for him? You know? And so they quickly go back to the disciples and tell them what had happened. And then there's this other story about these two men who are leaving Jerusalem and traveling to a, a town called Emmaus. And these two men are followers of Jesus as well. And so they're talking about what has happened and how disappointed they are because Jesus was killed. And then Jesus, we're told, joins them on their travels. He starts walking with them and pretends like he doesn't know anything about what's happening. So they start talking to him about all that's happened all the way up to when the woman went to the empty tomb and found it empty and they claimed that he had risen. And then we see in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, before our text, where it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then later in this story, the three of them are eating together, and Jesus breaks the bread, and that's when they recognize that he is Jesus. Now, how that is, it must have been shading their understanding of him. But then they recognize him, and then he vanishes. He's like beamed up or something, I guess. And, and so they're so excited that they had seen the risen Jesus that they just turn around and they go all the way back to Jerusalem and tell the disciples that they saw Jesus. And this is where our text picks up today. So notice that first, Jesus, when he appeared to the disciples, felt like he needed to give proof of life. Like, it's really me. You know, and uh, look at the text again. I'm going to read it for us again. Just these uh, verses up to 43. It says, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why did doubts arise in your hearts? See, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they, were still, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. You see here, it took some convincing when Jesus appeared to his disciples that first time in that room uh, that he had physically risen from the dead, that he was alive again and his body was physical. And so at first the disciples were startled and frightened and they thought he was some spirit, some vision, some whatever hallucination. And so Jesus assured them that it was him, the Jesus they knew, and so he had them touch himself, you know, especially the wounds from his crucifixion, which is interesting here because Jesus' body was healed. It was fully restored, but he still bore the scars of what had happened to him on the cross. And so they touched him, and though they, the frightened, the, they were no longer frightened, they were still just trying to understand and accept that this was Jesus who they saw crucified. And so Jesus said, hey, I'm hungry, can I have some fish? And so he ate some fish. So you see, all these things are just to prove to them that he is human, he is risen from the dead, and he is alive 
And this is the proof of life for the disciples. So once Jesus then felt like, yeah, they are accepting my resurrection now from the dead, he commissioned them to what they are to do. And this is important for us today, and we're going to look at this and focus on this the rest of the message. It says uh, there, the next thing he did was he opened their minds to the scriptures so that they would understand how they pointed to him. Look at Luke 24, 45 through 48. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now, note the importance of understanding the scriptures and how they point to Jesus as the Redeemer, as the Messiah. Jesus' commission to share his gospel with the nations of the world, we see not only here, but also in all of the other gospel accounts in the New Testament. So this is Luke. We see it in Matthew and Mark and John as well. For example, I'm going to go through them. The one in Matthew you should be familiar with. We use it every year for the missions conference. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that's the commission in Matthew. Then in Mark 16, verse 15, Jesus said, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And then in John, it's a little, he says it a little differently there, John 20, 21, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So you see this idea of being sent, of going, of proclaiming his Messiah, his redemption of mankind, the gospel, we call it. And so while Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every account that we see this commission, it's always at the very end of those accounts. But what's interesting is in the book of Acts, this same kind of words and commissioning is at the very beginning of that book. And in Acts 1.8, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the, ends of the, or the end of the earth. The book of Acts records the story of how these handful of Christians, followers of Jesus, then took the gospel and proclaimed it through the then known world of around the Mediterranean and beyond. Just in that first 300 years, it spread like wildfire. Jesus commissioned his followers to start being his witnesses in Jerusalem. Just as in our text in Luke 24, where he said, beginning in Jerusalem. Now, this is significant for us, too. If we think about it, Jesus did not command you and me as followers of him to strive for a comfortable, financially secure life. That's not what he commissioned us to do. Jesus did not command us to keep the gospel message for ourselves privately and try to just live with that benefits personally. 
No, he commanded his followers to proclaim repentance, as Luke says, and the forgiveness of sins in his name to all nations. This is the commission we see in each of the gospel accounts and acts. Followers of Jesus are to make it their goal to make more followers of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus are to make more disciples of Jesus. We bring glory to the Lord God by doing so. This is how we spread the knowledge of His name and how great He is. But many of us feel uncomfortable I think when we think about being a witness for Jesus. Uh, we, we feel like we hear this command to proclaim to all nations, to the people in our lives, and we feel anxious. It causes us to get nervous about this. Do we have, when you think of it, do you have anxiety when you think about sharing Christ with the people in your life, with others? These feelings may be due to a misunderstanding of our Christ-given responsibility in what we term as evangelism, thinking of that we must personally win people to faith in Jesus Christ. Evangelism, though, simply means sharing the good news of Jesus with others that do not follow Jesus, who are not convinced of Him as Lord. And success in evangelism, as we call it, is in the sharing the proclaiming, not in the saving of people. Let me say that again. Evangelism, success in evangelism is when we are faithful in sharing and proclaiming as the command was and given to us, his followers. It's not in the saving, in the converting, because God is the only one who can save and convert people. It's not us. We just share the good news. He commands us to proclaim and share his good news Our responsibility is to share. God's responsibility is to save in Christ Jesus. So God's plan for reaching the world with the gospel revolves around you and me. This is his plan. And so how faithful, when we think of this, are we in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ as his followers? God and God alone is the one who produces the fruit. But how faithful are we to share? Bill Bright, uh, the founder of Crew, uh, captured this truth well when he said, success in witnessing is simply taking the initiative to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. See, that is true success. How many times when we think of it have we been able to share some aspect or part of the gospel to someone in our lives this past week? or this past month, or this past year? Are we praying and looking intentionally with it as a goal in our hearts that, Lord, show me an opportunity to share about you today, this week, or this month? If this is not even in our thoughts and our goal as uh, followers of Jesus, then we are living in disobedience to this commission as to be a follower of Christ, to proclaim his gospel and make his message known. You know, I used to have this view of witnessing as it is to corner some unsuspecting person and then force them to listen to my speech about Jesus. 
that's what I used to think being a witness for Christ meant. Um, and this wrong way of thinking caused me a lot of anxiety. I was so nervous thinking that I would have to corner somebody and try to pitch the sale and hopefully they would make the decision. Um, how can we lower our anxiety level so that we can allow the, a natural joy to flow from our lives with the belief that we get the best news to share with people? How can we have this become natural from us? Similar to that of the two women in the restaurant, if you remember, they were just enthusiastic to share with us what they found enjoyable. They weren't nervous about it or like, you know, things like that. They just shared it naturally. And for our witness to be persuasive, it must be experienced as compatible with who we are, with what people know about us, especially the people we have relationship with. The last thing people want is for it to be our project or somebody we're working on. I mean, think of it how we feel um, when we're targeted for advertisement, right? It turns us off. Like when somebody comes to our doors at our houses to like sell solar panels or Verizon or whatever it is, right? We don't want to answer the door. Or if we answer the door by accident and there they are, we're like, oh no. And we're stuck. We're cornered, right? Unless we're going to just be rude and just go slam and slam the door in their face. But hopefully we don't do that. You know, we just graciously say we're not interested. Um, or if you have been in the mall and somebody with a clipboard comes up to you and starts to like corner you and tries to sell or convince you that their product is really good and you should try it out and you're like, man, I just, I just want to, I was just heading over here. You know, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to talk to you. Uh, we feel targeted and, and often this is the way you and I think of sharing Jesus with other people. It's like we got to sell Jesus. We got to make the sale and if they reject us, man, we're a failure. You know, we, 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 didn't, we didn't do it right or we messed up. And, and it's because they then feel targeted by us because then they don't feel like we really care for them. We're just trying to, you know, it's in this whole context of uh, advertisement. And the truth is, most people don't care what we know until they know that we really care about them. They don't care what we know. They don't care if we're telling them about Jesus. They don't even know who we are. The most effective witness occurs in the context of authentic relationship that is caring. Just as Jesus modeled for us with his disciples, uh, in his context of his life, if you look at the life of Jesus, this is exactly what he modeled. Relationships built over time provide trust that give us plenty of opportunities to share with people how important Jesus is to us as his followers. And this is the natural overflow of the joy of the Lord in our lives. So how do we go about sharing our faith in Jesus with the people in our lives that we have already built relationships with? This is our Jerusalem. This is where we begin. And how do we do this? Well, uh, Pastor Greg and author Greg Ogden has written multiple books on making disciples, modeling that after Jesus' life. And he, in his book, Discipleship Essentials, A Guide to Building Your Life in Christ, he provides six ways, uh, six things that he offers as advice on helping us who follow Christ to share the gospel truth with the people in our lives, our everyday lives, those that we have somewhat of some kind of relationship or connection with. And just to plug, this, in this book, this, it's actually a workbook, this, what I'm going to tell and share with you today, uh, is only from one chapter. 
of 25 chapters. And if you've never been in a mentoring, discipling relationship with someone, I would encourage you strongly to talk to me and I will do my best to connect you with uh, one or two or three other believers and so that you can walk together as you all follow Christ. Everybody in that kind of mentoring relationship is uh, it's valuable and benefits from it. And so, anyway, back to this is Greg Ogden gives six ways that I'm going to bring out to you today because it's very helpful for us as followers of Christ to share our faith with the people in our lives. So, first, first is reduce self-consciousness and increase God-consciousness. You see, our anxiety is heightened when we are so self-conscious that we're afraid of that what we say will badly reflect on us, right? We don't want to mess up. And if we are too concerned with what people think of us, then we're going to be all tied up in knots inside because we don't want to mess up. We don't want to damage the relationship uh, with them. And we need to lose ourselves in the joy of Jesus. If you think of that, it's just the joy that overflows from knowing Christ. If the gospel message does not excite us and instill joy in our hearts, then we will not communicate that joy with others when we talk about Jesus. It just naturally won't come forth if we don't have that with Jesus. Like the two women in the restaurant were so excited to share about those menu items that they found so enjoyable. It was just natural for them. And their excitement persuaded us three to try those items because we didn't know one from the other, so hey, why not? If they like it. Um, when we set our eyes on Jesus and his love and his grace and his forgiveness and what he did for us, then his joy will fill our hearts and it'll naturally bubble over when we talk about Jesus, just like we talk about people in our lives that we like being around. It's, people will pick that up or they will pick up the lack of it. So secondly, is remember that our witness is only one of many influences. So think of people on a, uh, that, as on a spiritual journey from like one to a hundred. And then we intersect with people where they're somewhere on this journey. We may intersect with them in the beginning or in the middle or in the end or some other place. And so we're just going to be a part of their life maybe for a few like clicks or maybe we're going to be starting here and going to the end. We don't know. But if we think of them on a spiritual journey, then we may be, say, the one who destroys someone's negative stereotypes of what it means to be a Christian just by them knowing us. And so we help them make another step closer toward making a decision to follow Jesus. But we're not there at the end when they commit to be a follower of Jesus. But we just destroy that stereotype, that negative stereotype. You see, anxiety comes in our hearts when we feel like we have to be the one who brings the person from one to a hundred for the whole thing. So we have to plant the seed, we have to water the seed, we have to nurture the seed and make sure it grows to maturity, and then we have to harvest the seed and bring them into the kingdom of God. And when that doesn't happen, we're like, oh, we failed, you know, I did something wrong, you know, and, and so... We just put all this pressure and anxiety on us that, that we don't realize that it's a process for people to come to the Lord, just like it was for us. And saving people is up to him, not to us. We're called to proclaim, to share. So may our prayer be simply that God would use 
us to help someone just take another step closer and then maybe another step closer to becoming a follower of Jesus. And then thirdly, listen by asking probing questions. Now, this is something that probably takes some skill for some of us to learn, but Jesus was the master at guiding the discoveries of the heart with a great question. If you look at his life, right? Telling people something that they don't really want to hear just raises up their defenses, like being targeted for advertisement. But compassionately asked questions can be used by the Holy Spirit to open up someone's heart, who then might be willing to pursue some truth. They might be attracted to the truth that they understand about Christ. If our witness consisted of becoming caring listeners uh, and then to try to meet the needs of the others around us, per se, uh, whatever we're aware of, then we're going to guarantee have plenty of more opportunities to share about Jesus with people because we're modeling what Jesus did in his own life. He cared for people. He listened to them. Yes. And so, naturally, we will have plenty of opportunities. So, what probing questions can you ask, say, your parents if they are not believers and followers of Christ or your friends? or your coworkers, or your relatives, or your grandparents, whoever it may be. What probing questions can you ask? Fourth, ask people to investigate Jesus. So eventually, any genuine spiritual quest must center on Jesus because he's not just, a, as some, much of the world thinks, he's only a stop along the way of their spiritual journey or he's just one of the many truths, right? Or he's just kind of part of the truth or whatever they, where they think. But we know and we believe his truth claim that he is the way. He's not just one of the ways. He's the truth. He's not just one of many choices of truth. And he is the life. It's not just a stop along the way of a spiritual journey in life. He is the answer. So, at some point when we're in relationship with people and we have opportunity, we can just say, you need to investigate Jesus. Let's look at Jesus himself and, and encourage them to read the book of John, the gospel of John, or one of the gospels, and then interact with them and say, what do you think as you're getting to know Jesus, you know, about his life? What impressions do you have? So we've got to ask people eventually to just point them to Jesus and say, take a look at Jesus. Forget about church history and how Christians disappoint people all the time because we're sinners, but look at Jesus. He's the Savior. We are not. And then fifth is share out of joy. I touched on this earlier, but sharing Jesus with others is at its best when it's like contagious joy, when we are excited about who we follow. And it just bubbles over. And let me be clear here. Joy is not happiness. Um, joy is a deep-seated confidence and hope that we have in Jesus in all kinds of circumstances. So we can be deeply sad and still be joyful. We can be extremely happy and be joyful. We can be frustrated and yet joyful. So it, it, it goes along. It's a deep-seated undercurrent of who we are in Christ and if, if we do not have the joy of the Lord in our life at all, then we really have to question if we fully understand the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, so when we have the joy of Christ in our life and we share Jesus out of the joy we have of Him, then our excitement about Him 
will bubble over in how we talk about them. And if you do not have the joy in the, of the Lord in your heart, then, then you probably are misunderstanding or you don't really understand or haven't fully accepted the gospel of Christ yourself. Because once we understand that Jesus has taken care of all our sin and forgiven us and accepted us the way we are, but he knows and wants us to become our best selves, then we feel that joy in our hearts and it flows from when we share about him. So the, the sixth then uh, thing that Greg Ogden shares is that their best selves await them. And to know that Christ turns us into uh, being in his image, then we are, in a sense, finding our best self, to be fully what he has defined us or de designed us to be. Ask the question, has Jesus made a difference in your life, in my life? Definitely he has. If, if we look back when we accepted Christ as Lord and began to follow him, we are quite different now because of his transformation. And so when we offer someone the gospel of Christ, we can be convinced and, and excited that they, knowing Christ, will know their best self then as they are transformed in Christ when they follow him. For example, when Jesus met Simon for the first time, this is one of his disciples, when he first met Simon, he said, and, and let me put that up on the screen, he said, you are Simon the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, Cephas and Peter both mean rock, something solid, immovable, you see, Jesus, when he saw Peter for the first time, he saw what Peter would become, not what Peter was at the moment, because if you read the Gospels, Peter was like all over the place. He was like, blast his temper, he'd speak out without thinking and everything. But Jesus saw what he would become, his best self in Christ Jesus as his disciple. My hope and prayer is for everyone of us who follow Jesus to be active in sharing and proclaiming the Gospel out of the joy that he puts in our hearts. Not because we're anxious or we feel obligated or we got to do this to be a good Christian or whatever. That's, get rid of that. Do it because you love Jesus and you want others to do so as well. It's a joyful privilege. And I pray our anxiety decreases. And then in a relaxed way, Jesus can make himself known through each of us in a way that is like a fragrant aroma to the people in our lives. Let's pray. Lord God, we are gracious, uh, grateful for your graciousness, and we are just moved by your love and your truth. And we pray, Lord, in your name, the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, that the joy that you put in our hearts will just bubble over to the people in our lives. Give us opportunities, Lord. Open our eyes and our radars to be sensitive to when we can speak and share about you in part just by something we do or in word by how we share about what we did this weekend or we can explain why we did what we did or who and why we follow Jesus. Lord, we pray for those opportunities with our families, with our friends, with our people at work, with the people we meet on the bus or with whoever we see in our lives. Lord, give us opportunities and so we can be faithfully following that command and that commission you've given us to proclaim your name to the ends of the earth. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.